Today's reading comes from Matthew chapter 5, verses 1, 2, and 9. Seeing the crowds, he went up on a mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Uh, as you're seated, um, let me introduce myself. I'm Brant. I'm one of the members of the team here at Christ City Church, Kitsilano, and it's just my joy to, to be here to bring the word. Um, what an awesome set of announcements this morning. I'm just, I was just talking to Fred, wiping the tears away from my eyes, just God's providence and his goodness to us. I want to rejoice in that this morning. But as we move now to time to look at his word, uh, would you pray with me? Father, we love you. Father, you do abundantly more than we ask or imagine. Uh, Father, you have, you have sent Jesus Christ to earth. You took on human flesh. You came to us to rescue us, to bring your enemies and make them your friends, Father. Um, Lord, would you turn our eyes to Christ in worship and adoration this morning now, that we would rejoice most of all in your gospel. Would you change our hearts and make us like Jesus? In his name we pray. Amen. So as we jump in, question for you. Do we need peace? Profoundly, right? It's like, yeah, duh. You know, what a stupid question. We all need peace. We know we need peace. And, in fact, many of us have different solutions that we would suggest uh, maybe other people around us would get behind to enact that peace on earth. Maybe it's a... I don't know, a political solution or an Eastern mysticism solution or a technological solution, maybe an educational solution or maybe even an environmental solution aimed at providing peace. Everybody is talking, I think, in our society around us about different ways to find peace, to achieve peace. But let's be honest, you and I don't need armchair philosophers. You and I don't need ivory tower discussions about peace. Because what we want is a lot more pedestrian and maybe more profound. Like, can I, just have, can I just have one evening where the tension's gone in my home? You know, I'd like to have peace with my husband. I'd like to drive home from my parents' place and not be angry and frustrated. I'd like to, to be with that friend again in their presence. I'd like to see my brother or my sister and talk to them like we used to talk. Or maybe we, we turn the lens inside and we think, you know, I just like peace with me. I'd like an evening, a, a night's sleep where I don't get up and struggle sleeping because I'm just filled with anxiety and fear and anger and bitterness. I want peace. Christ, here's the good news. This morning, Jesus speaks into our need. And he speaks into our need with an invitation of blessing and of peace. He invites us to turn away from all those other voices that offer to us their solutions for peace and to come to him and to hear what he says to us on the mountain. Matthew 5 verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. He speaks of a way of being in this verse, in this world that is truly blessed. As it is lived out in peace. An imitation of God who is the peacemaker. 
So if you are in need of peace this morning, and I, I think all of us are, no matter who you are, uh, no matter the, the need, great or small, we're in need of this, I'd invite you to turn with me to see what Jesus says as we unpack this. We're going to unpack it in, in uh, three different steps here. We'll look, number one, at the definition of peace. Number two, the creation of peace. And then number three, the life of peace. We're going to turn now to Matthew 5, verse 9, and, and jump in. So our first point, the definition of peace. So Jesus says in Matthew 5, verse 9, he says, Blessed are the peacemakers. But I think we need to start at that first part of the word, just that peace part. Because if I'm working at a definition of peace that's not Jesus' definition of peace, then I'm going to be off on the wrong foot to begin And I don't know if you realize this, but actually in our society today, the way that we think of peace is not actually exactly what Jesus has in mind. There's a lot of overlap, but it's not exactly what he has in mind. So in our society, we think of peace, I think most commonly, if you open up various uh, dictionaries, you'll see that peace is the absence of something. The absence of various kinds of hostility or strife or turmoil, both socially, both internally, both interpersonally, but it's an absence of something. But the biblical definition of peace, it's a little bit different. It definitely includes absence of strife for sure. But it's it's freedom from those things because we've been freed into something else. The peace the Bible speaks of is freedom into a relationship of love under the authority of God. It's freedom into a relationship of the love of God under the authority of God. And authority and peace, I think, are really deeply related. I think you think that too, actually. When you see a country, for example, just think about this for a moment with me. When you see a country that doesn't have a government, right? Do you think of that country as a peaceful government or a peaceful country? No, no. If you think of these countries that are in turmoil right now, you look at the the leadership and the authority that's in place. It's non-existent, basically. There's actually a think tank called the Institute for Economics and Peace, and they released a a list recently of the most dangerous countries in the world in 2019, and they use the language of least peaceful countries. And the top five countries on that list are, not surprisingly, Syria, Afghanistan, South Sudan, Iraq, and Somalia. Do you know anything? Do you know anything about the governments of those countries? They're failed states. It's tribal. It's sectarian. It's horrific. It's divided. It's just complete shambles. And the people living in those countries, they suffer horribly. Why? Why do they suffer horribly? Well, there's a lot of reasons, but certainly one of those reasons is that, is that no one is leading that country with good authority exercise in the interest of the citizens. For peace, we need authority. But clearly, it's not just any authority, because I think if we had a country, uh, you know, that with, with Darth Vader as our, as our ruler, I mean, that wouldn't be so great either, right? Like a vice grip authoritarianism, that's not going to lead to peace either. It's not just authoritarianism we're talking about. What we need For true peace, we need to be submitted to the good authority of the loving king, the God of the universe that we were made to be in relationship with. So here's the Bible's wild and countercultural claim this morning. And I want to just get it out of the way. This, This is not the way that we're used to thinking. But here's the Bible's claim. The Bible doesn't say that what you need to be peaceful and happy is more freedom defined by you, lived as you would like to live it. 
No, the Bible's diagnosis for the lack of peace that you feel today in your heart, in your friendships, in your family, in this city, in this country, and in this world is that you aren't submitted to Jesus. It's that you're not submitted to Jesus who is the rightful ruler of our lives and this planet. But here's the good news this morning. God has a plan. He's working to bring his disordered creation back under the rule and the authority of Jesus Christ. The good and the loving rule and authority of the king who is good and kind and who is peace. Look at Ephesians chapter 1 verses 9 to 10. It's right there for us in the text. This verse says, God's purpose, which he set forth in Christ, is a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Jesus. Things in heaven and things on earth. It's to bring that creation that's disordered back into order under the rule and the reign of Jesus. There's something interesting for you. That word unite in Greek is actually this word that, that kind of corresponds to what we might say uh, recapitate. The opposite of decapitate is to put the head back on the body. The plan that God has is to put the, the head back on his disordered creation to bring about a rightful rule and a rightful authority under his reign. I mean, I don't know if you've watched any zombie or like undead movies, but like decapitated bodies, not peaceful people. Not peaceful people. No, God's describing the way that through Jesus, he's bringing all things into right and good order underneath his good and his loving reign. And you know what? You and I, need this desperately. You know, I've been living in relationship with Jesus for a long time now. And I'm young, but I started walking with him when I, was, when I was young. And let me tell you, I need to be ruled by Jesus' love and by his authority like crazy. Because there's a wickedness in my heart. There's, there's something in my heart that wants to respond to bad situations, situations where it doesn't quite go my way, with this, this anger and fighting for my own. I want, to get what, I want to get what's mine. I respond that way. I mean, just recently, for example, I'll tell you a story. True confessions from the pulpit this morning. So the other day, I have some family members, and, uh, and they're like, hey, Brent, can you, can you buy a particular European beverage from a liquor store in Vancouver and bring it to a family gathering? I said, no problem. I'll grab something. I know where, I know where to go. So I head out to Athletes Village. I'm going to stop. And as I, as I roll in, and I see where I want to park. It's on the other side of the road. So I do a hasty three-point turn. And, and I start to back in. But what I missed was that there was a sprinter van that was ahead of me. It wasn't Jonathan's. It was a different sprinter van. It was uh, creatively decorated like Jonathan's. Um, and it, and it, ran, it ran down uh, past to the end of the street in order to turn around and to race back to the same spot that I was aiming at. So I'm backing in. And all of a sudden, urge right behind me. I look over and there's a guy. I'm like, what, what's he doing? And he yells out his window. He leans out. Hey, that's my spot. And, of course, I was very kind and compassionate to let the issue drop and I gave it to him. And no, I, I, resp- I responded. <laughs> I, got, I got angry, and I got angry quickly. I said, hey, man, I don't know if you're, like, you're from the city, but you don't just drive past a spot and claim it. Like, like, that's not the way that this works. It doesn't happen that way. And, uh, and so he's like, well, fine, you, know, you just pull in. If you can get in you know, past me, you can have the spot. And so I'm like, I can pull in. I'm feeling pretty confident in my driving abilities. So I start pulling in, and then he urges lurches his vehicle forward and like basically up against my bumper so i'm half on an angle half in the spot half in the street 
And he says, this is going to be fun. He looks at his window. How long will we wait? We'll see who gives up first. And I mean, I've, I'm never one to shy away from a challenge. So I'm like, okay, I can do this. <laughs> I'm just fuming mad. And I'm like, I'm sticking it out. So I stick it out, stick it out. And uh, <laughs> brothers and sisters, we're making a scene. Like there are, there are pedestrians gathering around. Somebody walks past and says like, you idiot, what are you doing? You know, like, like you can't do this. There are cars that are slowly, gingerly trying to make their way past us, you know, as we're blocking the road. And uh, it's, I mean, it's, it's ugly. So it's amazing how long it took, but I'm starting to feel, I mean, I'm more embarrassed than I am convicted, but I'm starting to feel a little bit convicted. I'm enough convicted to be self-righteous. So I, I put my head out the window and said, look, you can't do that, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave, and I'm going to give you this spot. And of course, he throws up his hands, and he takes off before I can, I can get in. So um, there's a kind of a cool end to that story. You can ask about it later. I was able to reconcile with him um, a little bit later, but that's not why I share this story. I share this story not about the reconciliation, but to draw attention to what was happening in my heart. Because I think what was happening in my heart that day is not that different than what's happening in your heart all the time. It's like, this is a thing that's inside of us. At root, we got this massive problem, especially when we're tired and the margins of our lives are kind of worn away so that it reveals what's really going on on the inside. And we see, man, that is ugly. That is ugly. At root, you and I don't want to be submitted to God. At root, you and I don't even want his love poured into our hearts and extended through us to other people. No, when we face that conflict, what we want is to get our way. My way, not theirs. And the result's not peace, it's strife and it's hostility. With your spouse, with your children, with your neighbor, and with the random guy vying for a parking spot on the street. But fundamentally, it's a lack of peace with God. So if God's plan is to bring everything under the loving rule of Jesus Christ, then what's his plan? Like, how is he going to deal with me? How's he going to take me from that place and bring me to where he wants me to go? Look with me at our second point, the creation of peace. Well, the first thing that he did is that God came to us. Praise him. He came to us to show us what his love, what his peace, what his good authority looks like. And notice this, God is all-powerful. He has all authority in the universe. I mean, he made us, he's the indisputable ruler of all things. But how did he come to us? Did he come to us in this triumphant procession of angels to receive glory and honor and majesty from everybody over the face of the earth? No, he came born as a man, lowly, humble, into a life of poverty and suffering. He came in his compassion, in his meekness. He wasn't born to a king's family. He was born to a poor couple in poverty. And he did it to show us his love, to demonstrate that through, to demonstrate that though he has this mind-boggling power, that he is no tyrant, that he is a God of love. And his authority is quintessentially good. And it's good for us to submit to it. I have a couple of verses I want to share with you just to kind of show some of these things. Look at Colossians 1, verses 16 to 17. Look at, look at this power. He's not just, Jesus is not just a poor man wandering the streets of Judea. He's much more than that. Colossians 1, 16 to 17 says this about Jesus. For by Jesus, all things were created 
in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, all things are created through him and for him. They are made for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. But look at his humility. Philippians 2, verses 6 to 7. It says, Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Not something that he was desperate to make sure that you knew about. He emptied himself, did the form of a servant, and was born in the likeness of men. But he didn't just come to us in humility. He did a lot more than that. He sacrificed everything in order to make peace with his enemies. And you know what? You and I are on our own his enemies. Let me say that again another way. If you haven't been reconciled to God this morning through Jesus Christ, you aren't God's friend. You're his enemy. That's the plain teaching of Scripture this morning. It's shocking. The Scriptures offend us. They frighten us. That might sound crazy, but think of it this way. You see, the story of the Bible is about God. It's about Him loving His creation. It's a story of God who made us, who loves us, who gives us every good thing that we've ever experienced. But it's a story of us then responding to God not with worship and adoration and acceptance and praise for all that he is and who he is and his goodness, but it's the story of us rejecting him. From the very beginning, our very first parents in the garden, Adam and Eve, they rebelled against God. They disobeyed him. And ever since then, all of their human children, you and I included, we've been enslaved to sin and rebellion against him. We've consistently chosen our way over God's way. We've consistently rejected God's good purposes for us in favor of what we think will work in the moment. We've consistently doubted his love for us. Consistently withheld thanksgiving for all that he has done. Consistently rejected a relationship of love and worship for him as the God who made us. We've consistently placed ourselves at the center of our lives and at this world and of this universe when the only one deserving and worthy of that place is God. The truth is we've always rejected God. We've always doubted God's love for us. And whenever we've doubted his love for us, whenever we've rejected his good and loving authority, you know what's happened? We've reaped more strife. We've gotten not peace, we've gotten the opposite. Again and again and again and again. I mean, I can't imagine how frustrating that would be. Can you imagine if you were God? I mean, I know this isn't something that you should do all the time. Some of you imagine you're God, I think, a little too often. But, but, but imagine that you're God for a second. Imagine how frustrating it would be to pour yourself out in love and giving for someone. And to have them reject you. Spit in your face. Throw up their fists against you again and again and again and again. Would you call that person your friend? Or would you call them their enemy? And yet, despite our rejection of him, what did God do? Well, through Jesus, he pursued us in love. He pursued us in love, even to the point of receiving his own judgment against the sin of humanity on his own shoulders. He took on human flesh so that he could bear the penalty and the cost that humanity deserved. 
And he stood in our place to bear his own weight, to unleash the, his own weight of, re, of retaliation and judgment and punishment against us for our sin. Jesus took that on his shoulders so that you and I could be forgiven, loved, and reconciled into a relationship with God. Look at Romans 5 verses 8 to 10 to see some of this. That passage says, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified, we've been made right with God by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Saving us through the life of Christ as we're raised with him. See, God came to earth to die in order to make peace with his enemies. Colossians 1 verse 20 says this, God was pleased through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. The perfect and good, loving and just God who is rightly our authority, he's made peace with us through the bloody horror of Jesus' cross. Why? So that you and I could be reconciled to God. So you and I would be rightly submitted under the loving and good rule and authority of Jesus Christ. So you and I would learn of his love, have the Holy Spirit bring us to life, have the Holy Spirit bring the love of God poured into our hearts. So we could be changed to learn to extend the love that we've received from God to other people. So we can become peacemakers. Look at our next point, the, the life of peace with me in Matthew 5 verse 9. There we read, not just about peace in the abstract, but about a peace that's lived out. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. It's not just, it's not just peace, it's peacemakers. And peacemakers, they seek to bring about the peace that they've received from God with other people. That's what they do. And because they live out peace towards others, Matthew 5, 9 says, they shall be called sons of God. You know, in Jesus' day, to be called someone's son, it doesn't mean exactly what you and I think that it means. In Jesus' day, when you said someone was a son of something, you're referring not to their DNA, but to what they were like. Right? And that's made sense in an ancient world where if you were a baker's son, you would inevitably be a baker. If you were a farmer's son, you would be a farmer. If you were a carpenter's son, you would be a carpenter. All right, so that's what's going on here. So peacemakers then, they'll be called sons of God when Jesus returns because peacemakers do what God does. We're sons of God because we do what God does. And that was really, really radical teaching in Jesus' day. You see, Jesus' people, the Jewish people, they were an occupied people. They had Roman overlords. They felt oppressed. And there were several groups around at the time of Jesus, these basically, these Jewish freedom fighters called the Zealots. And they would take it upon their own shoulders to try and fight Rome, to, to start insurrection, to foment rebellion, and to, uh, to bring about the kingdom of God as they saw it through taking up the sword, through fighting for it. So when Jesus goes up on the mountain, he says to them, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. When he says that, he's challenging a central perception of what God's work is. In ancient Judea, God's work was to fight the Romans. 
But Jesus says, no, it's not war against the enemy that's God's work. It's making peace as God through Jesus makes peace. That's God's work. It's different. And even though our own context is different than theirs, Jesus' words about peace, they're deeply provocative to us too. They call us to live our lives not in strife, not in seeking to get what we want in every moment, and getting angry when it doesn't happen, but to live instead as ambassadors of the good and loving God who's reconciled us to himself. Ambassadors of his peace. Ambassadors of his love. And to extend that to other people. So there's two implications I want to make here. That means a couple of things. Number one, it means that peacemakers are those that seek to make peace evangelistically. To live in this world as a peacemaker who is an ambassador of King Jesus, it means that you represent his love to others. It means that you invite them to be reconciled with the King of Kings. You realize what's going on around you in this world, that people are lost, they're enemies of God. You say, come, hear the message of the good news that that God has made a way for you to be at peace with him. Be reconciled with God as I am reconciled with God. Know his love, know his peace within you. And I'm sure if you were thinking about this, when that is not received well, when you live in a world that's increasingly hostile towards that kind of a message, you bear it with the patience and the love that Jesus Christ bore in extending his own peace to you. You're patient. You endure suffering, trusting in him. You know, this is exactly where Jesus goes in the next two Beatitudes. Matthew 5, 10, and 11 say this, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Peacemakers seek peace evangelistically and they're okay bearing the consequences. They trust in Jesus when it's hard. The second implication here though is that peacemakers seek peace relationally. God has reconciled us to himself. Jesus has made peace with us through the blood of his cross. How could you and I then withhold his peace, withhold his love from somebody else? We must forgive others to the same extent and in the same way that God through Jesus has forgiven us. The same way that he has loved us. As we conclude, I actually want to really drill down into this point. I want to illustrate it by looking again at the life of Corey Ten Boom. We talked about her a few weeks back. We're going to talk about her again right now. You see, Corey Ten Boom, she was a Dutch woman who resisted the Nazis by welcoming Jews into her home. And eventually she and others were found out and sent to a concentration camp because of their hospitality to persecuted people. And years later, after being released through a clerical error from the camp, it was miraculous, Corrie Ten Boom, after that, she'd go and she'd travel, and she wanted to travel in Germany in particular to teach the good news of God's forgiveness and his love. So she's there, and at one of those events, a man comes up to her, and she recognizes him. One of the cruelest guards in the camp that she was in. One of the guards that, that brings to mind all of the cruelties that were poured out on her sister Betsy, who died. And he says, Corrie Ten Boom... I want to rejoice this message of forgiveness. You know, God has saved me. He's forgiven me. I know the peace of God through Jesus Christ. And I want to ask, would you forgive me? 
as God has forgiven me. Corey Tamboom, she picks up the story in her own words. She says, And I was not able. I could not. I could only hate him. She talks about the way that she stood there with his hand raised to shake hers after she'd just spoken about God's forgiveness. She talks about remembering Jesus' words in Matthew 6, verse 15, which say this, If you do not forgive others your trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And she talks about the way that still her own hand hung limp by her side. She spoke of the way that she cried out to God to help her, to empower her to forgive because she couldn't do it. And then she continues. She says, And then I took one of those beautiful texts, Romans 5, verse 5, which says this, The love of God is shed abroad into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom he has given to us. And I said, Thank you, Jesus, that you have brought into my heart God's love, the Holy Spirit who has given to me. And thank you, Father, that your love is stronger than my hatred and unforgiveness. And that same moment, I was free. And I said, Brother, give me your hands. And I shook hands with him. And it was as if I felt the ocean of God's love flow through my hands into him. Later, she would write in her famous book, The Hiding Place, when God tells us to love our enemies, he gives along with the command, the love itself. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. To be a peacemaker takes a miracle. Christ City, it takes a miracle. It takes the Holy Spirit bringing life to our dead hearts. It takes rebellious sinners like you and I being reconciled into a relationship of love under the authority of Jesus Christ. It takes his Holy Spirit filling us with his love and extending it in our hearts towards others. It takes a miracle. So maybe you're feeling that this morning. Does it feel like that? That it would take a miracle in your life to extend this peace to others. Maybe you realize that that your marriage or your home or your friendships are broken because you have no power to forgive. Because you have no power to love. And because you don't even want to. It takes a miracle. You know, if that's you, the first question I have for you this morning is, have you been reconciled with God? Have you been reconciled with God? Do you know the love of God through Jesus Christ that I've been talking about? If you don't, you'll never make peace. You'll never make peace with others the way that God makes peace. Not unless you've been reconciled with him. You aren't empowered by his love. You can't do it. And if that's you this morning, can I invite you? Um, Don't be so discouraged that you just stay there. Can I invite you to come and be reconciled to God? Paul says in Romans 10 verse 13, he says, All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's a promise for you that in your state right now, you can be saved. God can pour out his love into your heart and make you new. Would you receive that this morning? I want to pray for you. On the other hand, on the other hand, if you have been reconciled to God and you do know his love, but you're struggling to forgive, you're struggling to make peace, 
I'd encourage you to pray for the strength, for the strength of the situation that you're facing to be a peacemaker. I'd encourage you to pray and say, God, can you, can you help me to remember your gospel? Can you help me to worship and delight in you because of your gospel? That I would remember how you have crossed heaven and earth to make me your son or your daughter. Remember the way that he's made peace with you and then ask him to empower you by his Holy Spirit to extend that love and that peace to other people. And here's the thing. Then don't, don't just sit there after that. Don't just sit there. Obey him. Take a step of faith. Take a step of obedience. You know, Corey Tenboom, she reached out to this Nazi man in the concentration camp guard, this guy that she was, had his hand out to her. She reached out her hand out of obedience. She took action. Her faith and her obedience compelled her to action. Don't just sit there. Take action. There will never be the perfect opportunity to make peace. So stop waiting for it. It's not going to come. If there's a letter that you need to write, I encourage you to write it. If there's a phone call that you need to make, please make the phone call. If you need to show up on someone's doorstep and plead with them to forgive you and to extend love and peace, do it. Drive over there. And remember that Jesus says, unforgiveness will result in no forgiveness for you. There's a warning on the other side of this. I can't think of a more horrific sin. I mean, I'm sure there's others that I'm not thinking of, but to, to receive this love from God and his grace and his forgiveness and to refuse to extend it to somebody else. So repent of the pride that will destroy you and seek reconciliation. Jesus is inviting you to live richly under his authority and under his rule. You want to be free? You want to be free of that anxiousness and the lack of peace inside of you and in your home? Then come to Jesus. Delight in his peace through the gospel. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Would you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, we come to you and we ask you to work a miracle. Uh, Father, we lift up our hands and we, we fully confess this is going to take a miracle. I can't do this. But would you, Father, by your grace through the Holy Spirit, would you give us the love that we need to become peacemakers, to, to seek to give up slander and gossip and hatred and envy and to make peace instead as you've made peace with us. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Christ City Church in Vancouver, please visit ChristCityChurch.ca. We invite you to join us in praying that God's kingdom would come in Vancouver as it is in heaven.